The editors of the 1979 Book of Common Prayer had a lot of good reasons for the decisions that they made. There were theological reasons for putting the Eucharist at the center of our worship. There were historical reasons for highlighting the great vigil of Easter as the hub from which all other services flow. There were political reasons for keeping the confirmation service as an Episcopal service while placing it in the pastoral services section of the prayer book. But of course, there were bad reasons for some of the choices that they made as well. One of the worst decisions that they made was related to space. Somewhere, somehow, it was decided that the 1979 Book of Common Prayer with the Psalter, the lectionary, the catechism, could not be more than 1,001 pages. As a result, on that hard cap, we lost out on a lot of teaching opportunities within the book itself. Now, there's quite a bit to learn from the catechism, and we can glean things from the concerning the service and additional directions for each liturgy. But for the most part, the liturgies are left to explain themselves, which leads to all kinds of interesting interpretations by clergy and laity alike. Now, my particular brand of church nerdery could have me go on for hours on this topic, but no one wants that, and so I will spare you that. But point out one place where the lack of teaching leaves us wanting, and that's the Nicene Creed. According to the rubrics, the Nicene Creed is required to be said at the celebration of Holy Eucharist on Sundays and major feasts. What we don't see in there is what we call the Nicene Creed isn't actually the Nicene Creed. It's the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed with the Filioque. It just rolls right off the tongue. But it's important to know that the creed that we recite every Sunday and major feast has evolved over time. Importantly for this morning, in 381, the Second Ecumenical Council held in Constantinople added significantly to the end of the Nicene Creed, the original one, that was adopted at the First Ecumenical Council, conveniently enough, in Nicaea in 325. The original Nicene Creed ends the statement of faith simply by stating, and we believe in the Holy Ghost, period. End of story. The creed settled on in Constantinople expanded that to include a, an orthodox understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, and then it added a brief definition of the church's foundational beliefs, similar to those at the end of the Apostles' Creed. We believe in the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's that last line that caught my attention this week as I prepared once again to preach on an apocalyptic text from Jesus. Every Sunday, we say definitively, that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. But I can't help but wonder how much thought we really give that sentence. 
How often do you look for the resurrection of the dead? I can't say that it's a part of my daily routine. How do we even look for something that we have no clue when it's going to happen? This is, I think, the crux of our gospel lesson from Mark this morning and the whole point of the season of Advent. No one, not even Jesus himself, knows the day or the hour of his return to judge the living and the dead. And yet, Jesus calls us to keep awake and to be alert. I've said it before, but it's worth repeating that the difference between Greek and Hebrew, the original languages of our faith, and the English versions of what we have now is kind of like the difference between the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and finger painting by a preschooler. Both have their intrinsic beauty, but one is clearly more refined. So when we say we look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come, we're using a translation that, while accurate, misses some of the nuances of the original Greek text of the Creed. Look for is a translation of the Greek word prosdoko, which doesn't literally mean to look, but rather to hope for or to expect. We aren't just passively scanning the horizon for Jesus to come back but we are actively hoping for his arrival. Or to put it in the language of Jesus in our gospel lesson, we are awake and alert for the coming of Christ. This hope-filled expectation of the return of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead should impact every aspect of our lives. But after 2,000 years of waiting, it makes sense that we'd be a bit lackadaisical in our, in our keeping awake and staying alert. By now, the church has pretty much resigned itself to the idea that since the day and the hour are unknown, it probably means hundreds or thousands or millions of years from now. Sure, we will look for him, but we won't think much about it beyond a passing glance to liturgical East while we state the creed. But for Mark's audience, who had only recently seen a major apocalyptic event in the destruction of the temple, the fact that the hour and day was unknown meant to them that it might be this afternoon. It might be at midnight. It might be first thing tomorrow morning. They were constantly thinking about the return of Jesus and working diligently to be ready. As we enter an intentional season of waiting, both on the coming of the Christ child and the return of our Lord, now seems like an ideal time to take on some practices of active waiting, of keeping alert, of hopeful expectation. The season of Advent invites us specifically to be aware that because Jesus is not with us in the flesh, the world is not yet what God dreams it to be. There is still poverty 
still hunger, still violence, bigotry, and brokenness. To actively wait on Jesus is to work to restore broken relationships, to subvert the systems of privilege, and to undo the dueling cycles of greed and poverty. If we really mean it when we say that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, then every waking hour of our lives should be spent trying to make this world as close as possible to the world to come. To do that, we must develop the spiritual practice of paying attention to seeing as God sees and to look for those places where God would have us make a difference. In a world and a season of hustle and bustle, Advent invites us to slow down, to pay attention, to keep alert. It isn't easy to do, but with God's help, it is possible to keep awake and to look to really look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.